You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So let me start reading. And this, this passage is not nice. You're, you're about to hear me read um, about the Lord's anger and about the Lord's jealousy and his wrath. And that is a lot of the minor prophets have to do with judgment and passages that are not nice and cute and fuzzy. They are passages warning of evil, warning of wrath. They are passages warning of bad news, and and it's in the text of Scripture, so we're going to look at it. We're going to deal with it. We're going to take it very seriously. And so this is um, a a prophecy against Nineveh. Nahum is one of the prophets to prophesy against Nineveh, like another minor prophet. Anybody know? Jonah. Yeah, I heard it. Okay. So Nahum 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, uh, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes, takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and the mountains, his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. It's like this one verse in here, verse three, that's, it's like, oh, okay, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is a whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Verse 4, he rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and rocks are shattered before him. Let's pray. God, we do take your scripture seriously, and even though there's passages in it that warn of your wrath and are potentially um, just hard news to hear, God, we consider you, and we, we do know from the rest of scripture that you are a good God. You are a God who is slow to anger. You are a righteous God. You are a loving God. And at the same time, you deal uh, with wrath towards unrighteousness and unholiness. And God, we, we, we look at these passages today. We consider them today as, our, as we start our journey into the minor prophets. And God, we thank you for the context of Scripture. We thank you for its mystery and its beauty. We praise your name, Jesus. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so here's, here's a picture of the quintessential Old Testament prophet some dude in some clothes writing some stuff, and he's got a beard, of course, and a little pen scroll thing. And I was thinking about the minor prophets and how the minor prophets are, if you, if you don't know, um, which a lot of you may not know, maybe you've, you've heard Bible stories before, but you're, you're not too familiar with the minor prophets, and that's probably because we as a church uh, don't teach about the minor prophets too often. Maybe you can name a few, like maybe Jonah, he's, a pretty, he's probably the most famous minor prophet, or Hosea, maybe you can name him. He's one of the other uh, more uh, famous minor prophets. But we're talking about the minor prophets all this month. And and it's the the last 12 books of the Old Testament Hebraic scriptures. And so um, maybe in a little while, I'll I'll see if anybody can name all 12 in order. That'd be pretty cool to see how many people can do that. But anyways, um, the minor prophets, as I kind of have been hinting at thus far, um, have a lot to say about God's judgment, about bringing bad news to, to people, to God's people. And we're going to talk about the history of when the minor prophets came. And for the most part, 
I don't want to put a percentage on it, but uh, for, for a lot of the part of, of what the minor prophets say, it's bad news to, told to the people of God. Like, hey, guess what? Because of your unrighteousness, God's going to destroy you. His wrath is going to be upon you. And I thought about like bringing bad news to someone. And um, with all seriousness, I think that doctors sometimes have to bring very bad news that is true to people that may or may not want to hear it. If you are a a patient and let's say you have a very deadly disease, you have cancer, you have very, you know, something going on in your body that is, that is very bad. Well, a good doctor will diagnose you. And then a good doctor will in some way tell you of the very bad news that's in your body. Like you have cancer or you have some disease that is uncurable. I just imagine a doctor telling a patient the most horrible news. And I thought about this comparison of what the minor prophets are doing and what maybe a doctor has to do of telling a group of people or one person very bad news that is actually true. So it's true, but it's very bad news. And and then I I thought about um, cancer specifically being very bad news. I thought about this guy. Anybody, a Lance Armstrong fan a bicycling, bicycling, cycling fan. Uh, of course, many of us know the story of Lance Armstrong, how he won uh, Tour de France's. He's probably the most well-known bicyclist maybe ever. I don't know. Um, but many of you know his story that in, it was around 1996 when the doctors diagnosed Lance Armstrong with cancer, testicular cancer, as well as uh, he, had, he had tumors in his brain and in his lungs. And he was coughing up blood, went to the doctors, and the original prognosis of Lance Armstrong was very, very bad. Like you have cancer in your brain, in your lungs, vital organs. It is spreading. It is growing. The bad news is you might not make it. You will probably never ride your bike competitively again is, is this original prognosis in 1996. But Lance Armstrong takes that news, takes that bad news that is, that is true news, and he does things. He, he fights cancer. He does, undergoes chemotherapy. He undergoes surgeries. He undergoes all these things. And, of course, he beats cancer. And, of course, he is this hero to cancer patients. And he started this nonprofit um, organization called Live Strong. Anybody get the bands back in the day? Maybe you're still wearing the, the Live Strong bands. And, and the money went to go to help fight cancer and raise awareness for, for different types of cancer, particularly testicular cancer, which he had. And it was this this big, like, wow, he beat it. He won. He beat cancer. And then he went on to win six consecutive Tour de France's after beating cancer. It's like this huge story of like, wow, he did it. Originally, back in 1996, he heard this horrible, bad news, but then he changed and he fought cancer and he underwent the treatments and he beat it. And so in comparing Lance Armstrong and this cancer thing with the minor prophets, uh, I want to be very clear and first say that I I don't believe that anytime anyone gets sick, it's God's judgment and that somehow we can directly say, oh, if you're you're sick, then God's judgment is upon you because you have a sin or some unrighteousness. I'm not saying that at all. God, the way in which God works and the problem of evil is much more complicated than that. And and we're going to talk about it these next two months as we study the minor prophets. But with that said, I think um, one of the big themes that I'm going to continually kind of go back to this month and next month as we study the minor prophets is the minor prophets came to the people of God and gave them very strong 
warnings of the coming wrath of God. And I think there's this, this idea that's either stated um, in words or it's kind of an underlying idea that if only Israel would have changed, if only Judah would have turned from their wickedness and worshipped the Lord and turned from their ways, they would have been healed and they would have uh, maybe come back and the Assyrians and the Babylonians wouldn't have destroyed them like what happened. And so I almost think like th- this continual hopeful theme as we talk about these very bad news bringers, these minor prophets, is that if only they would have changed and done something. If only, maybe, and hopefully this, this makes sense in this analogy, but if, if Israel and Judah, if they, when they heard the bad news of the coming wrath and how bad the situation is, if only they would have, hopefully this makes sense, treated it like Lance Armstrong getting the news of, of his cancer and his prognosis and totally, you know, changed his, his everything about his life to fight cancer and to undergo the treatments, then maybe Israel would have um, come out differently in the end. So, so that's kind of this intro to what we're going to be talking about, people. For the next two months, we're going to be talking about, yes, somebody's excited, um, uh, we're going to be talking about the Minor Prophets, which is this whole group of 12 books of the Old Testament Scripture that I don't think uh, gets too much airtime in churches. They are the Minor Prophets, and we'll talk about why they're called the Minor Prophets in a little bit. But, I mean, I think about, like, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Abraham and David and all these huge characters of the Old Testament that get so much airtime in churches, and we, as the people of God, know their stories. But maybe so many of us don't know the stories of the Minor Prophets and what they were about. And so um, if you hold on tight and, and get through these next two months, um, you, I imagine, will be experts in the field of the minor prophets and you will no longer have to flip around through your Bible when I say turn to Nahum 1-2. You will know exactly who he was and where to go and what the whole thing was about. So, we cool? That's what we're about to do, the minor prophets. So, as far as announcements go, um, I think if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome. We're, we are glad that you're here. There's, uh, I think there's, there should be, yeah, there is, I see little, uh, there are yellow cards on most of the tables. If you're not at a table, you can come sit with the table and get a card and fill it out. It's basically a first-timer card, and you can bring it to the nice people as you leave at the, at the welcome table back there, and they'll give you a CD. It has some worship music on it from Friday nights, and our our Friday night, by the way, is our main service for college and 20-somethings. Sunday school is kind of like a Sunday school out of that main ministry. And today, we're really going to put the school into Sunday school, as you will see. Um, This this lesson, just to prepare you, um, is going to be a little intense as far as like feeling like you're in school. Lots of dates and names and places and all kinds of things. Um, Maybe overwhelming in some way, but we'll we'll talk about why we're going to do that in a second. So let's just begin with with a quick overview of the 12, the minor prophets. Can anyone name all 12 in order? I have up here before, before, I don't see any hands, so maybe this will tempt you. But um, there's, there's these candies that I got from the Christian bookstore. Do you see them up here? They're called Testa Mints, M-I-N-T. Get it? Get it? Anybody? <laughs> so they have, so it's probably the crowning achievement of, of evangelical Christian America that we have candies with scriptures on them. So it's just like, it's delicious, and you could read a scripture, and what, it's just 
awesome. So if anyone in here can name all 12 of the minor prophets without looking at the Bible or sheet that has all 12 in order, I will give you a candy. Does anybody want to stand up and at least give it a try? Yes. Okay, nice and loud. Hosea? You got this? Starts with an H. She's almost got it. The other H one. Did you say Haggai? Haggai? You got it. You you said it. Haggai, Zechariah. Who's the last one? Boom! All right. Heads up, don't let this hit you in the eye. Oh, gosh. That that went nowhere. All right, try to pass that back. Gosh. That was horrible. I need to work on my skills of throwing things. Anyways, I think the air caught it. I mean, it's just a lightweight candy with a big wrapper. Let's give me a break. Anyways, um, so those are the 12 prophets. Maybe by the end of this series, you can name all 12. Maybe by the end of this series, you will have a favorite. Maybe by the end of this series, not only could you name all 12, but you could say something about all 12, each one. Like, oh, this one was there. This one uh, preached this. This one's big point is this. So that's kind of my hope at the end of this series, that, that we, will, we will be familiar with the 12 minor prophets. And they're, they're sometimes called just the 12. That's the Hebrew name for the 12 minor prophets. It's called Trey Asar. It's a book with the 12 minor prophets in it. And their order is the order that we have in our Bible. But in the Hebrew Bible, it's kind of more taken as like one book with each of the 12. Our Bible has 12 individual books in the same order. And um, so they're called the 12 in the Hebrew scriptures. And then somewhere around the fourth century AD, this very uh, popular figure in Christianity named Augustine, um, I think was quoting somebody else, or maybe he didn't coined the term minor prophets, but he used the term minor prophets in some of his writings. And so then it became popular to just call them the minor prophets, which of course is in comparison to the major prophets being Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah are usually the major prophets. Sometimes Daniel's thrown into the mix, but he really shouldn't be because he never calls himself a prophet. And the Old Testament scriptures never call him a prophet. But anyways, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the major prophets, and then the 12 minor prophets are called minor, not because they were little guys, but because they they wrote a lot less than the, the, the three major prophets. And um, I, I guess that's why they're called, uh, somebody called them uh, Augustine. Somebody called them the minor prophets. Augustine picked up on that. And then we have, uh, as of course in English, picked up on that idea and call them the minor prophets. So that's where they get their name from. And so what we want to do now is something kind of unprecedented for Sunday school of, of taking Sunday school to a whole nother nerd level. I mean, already we kind of joke and love the fact that we're the nerds of the middle. But this lesson like, may put some of you over the edge, um, just as a warning. Um, but we will, so this month, or excuse me, this Sunday, with the time that we have left, we have like an hour, a half hour and six minutes, 36 minutes, to go over the entire history of the Bible's Old Testament. So I'm glad that some of you are excited about that, because it's, 
maybe you're excited now, but as we, as we go through this thing, I'm just going to be throwing names at you, throwing scenarios and dates at you. And so what I want you to do, if you're sitting at a table, um, there should be one or two of these charts. And I, I printed enough of them so that you have to share and look on with somebody else. But if you look at this chart, it's the entire history of not only the Old Testament, but this one includes like Jesus coming and then the beginning of the church. So this chart, which I, I, I can't take credit for. I found this online after searching charts and going through hundreds of them. I think this is, at least in my opinion, was the best one. I printed it out on legal sized paper so that you can see like the entire history of the Bible in one piece of paper. So all the kings of Israel, all the, the prophets. And if you look um, at this middle section, uh, this is where I think the history of Israel uh, and Judah gets very confusing because it splits kingdoms. But this is where the minor prophets fall into. So um, can you see all the minor prophets are underlined? Can you see that? Like Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Obadiah, Joel, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Can you see them? They're, they're kind of in the direct center of this thing, like center, center, with all underlined. And so they, they fall into that timeline. And so as you're looking at this, I imagine there's so many things on here that you're maybe overwhelmed. I remember the first time I saw this particular chart, I was a little overwhelmed with like, what is this? So we're going to take it from the top, take it from the far left side, and we're going to go through the entire history of the Old Testament. And hopefully this won't take too very long. We're going to go very fast at the beginning and then slow down once uh, Israel and Judah split off so we could talk about that because that's really where the minor prophets fall into. Because I think when we understand a little bit of the history of where the minor prophets were, we could understand that they weren't just randomly prophesying to random people. Like if you read... Um, Haggai, and you read like, is it Haggai? Uh, right at the beginning, it says like, let's let's rebuild the temple. And so, if you're reading that, you could be like, yeah, let's rebuild the temple of our heart. Or you could look at it and be like, yeah, I read Haggai and it said rebuild the temple. So you know what we need to do, new lifers? We need to rebuild our sanctuary. It's like, well, our sanctuary isn't that old. Like, let's let's bring the right interpretation to these prophecies and realize that Haggai actually came after the temple had been destroyed. And so he's literally saying, let's rebuild the, temp- the temple of the Lord. Or if you read, uh, I was thinking about Micah, and it says like, you know, behold, the Babylonians are going to come and destroy you, basically is what he's saying in Micah 4.10, if you want to look at that. And, and so we could look at that and be like, yeah, the Babylonians are coming. Yeah, those horrible people, they're coming to destroy us. It must be the, the people from Pueblo or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, um, it's like, no. The, the, Micah was actually prophesying before the Babylonians came and destroyed Judah. So he's literally prophesying about the actual Babylonians who were coming. So all that to say, we're, we're, we want to look at the history of the minor prophets when they came so we can have some context for what they said. Is everybody cool with that? If you're cool, say cool. Okay, so we're about to undertake something pretty big. And so I'm going to show you pictures to kind of keep you interested. All the pictures, by the way, come from Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel because if you've, has anybody ever been there? I'm sure you've seen pictures, but if you've been there and seen it yourself, you're just amazed with one man's creation of painting of what somebody can do with a ceiling. But basically, Michelangelo painted the history of Genesis kind of on a ceiling, and you could look at all the events. So, so lots of the pictures I'm about to show you come from that ceiling, and some of them are very iconic, and you've probably seen them before. So, shall we begin? 
Okay, so periodically, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you're with me thus far. Like, and so what I mean by that, so as we go in the history, and like creation, fall, flood, and then we keep going, at some point, I'm going to be like, okay, are you with me? And so you'll raise your hand if, you, if you're kind of with me. If, if you could maybe pick up this chart and explain it to someone who maybe isn't that familiar with the Bible. If you could, in your own words, explain the history of the Bible up until the point that we have gotten thus far. Cool? Cool. All right. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created human beings. Is anybody with me thus far? Okay, everybody's hand. Are you with me thus far? Okay, so I see some hands aren't being raised already, which is kind of scary. But anyways, God created the heavens and the earth, created humanity. Moving right along, humanity fell that they were told not to eat from a tree, a literal or a figurative tree, depending on, upon your interpretation. And they did. They rebelled and sinned against God. They were banished from the garden. And that brings on um, the, the, the downgraded people. The, 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 we just keep getting worse and worse, which leads to the flood. And uh, people were so bad at that time that God basically said, I'm going to destroy them and start over with one family, Noah and his kids. And I'm going to... Uh, just kind of restart things. Are you with me thus far? Raise your hand. Okay, sweet. Lots of hands. So you could, you could retell the story. I mean, basically that's just Genesis 1, 2, 3, kind of till 10. Um, and then with Noah's family, they, uh, st- they, they live, they continue to, to multiply, and along comes a guy named Abraham, who is a really big deal in the book of Genesis and on through the rest of Scripture, because God gives him a promise that he will have children, and those children will be countless, and those people will get to inherit a land. And that land, of course, is Israel, yeah, the land flowing with milk and honey, Canaan, which becomes Israel, and, and, and so... Uh, Abraham has a son, uh, who, what's his name? Isaac, nice. Um, Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has how many sons? Twelve sons. Um, one of those is Joseph, who his brothers throw, uh, I guess, sell into Egypt. Egyptian slavery ends up in Egypt. He becomes uh, kind of very uh, affluent and gets in with the pharaohs and becomes someone and has lots of abundance. Then there's a famine in Israel. And so all of Jacob's family, the rest of the 11 brothers and and the family, they move to Egypt so Joseph can kind of take care of them with all the wealth that Egypt has. So now the Israelites, I guess the Israelites or the Jews or the the people of Abraham came from Israel are now in Egypt. Is anybody with me thus far? Lots of hands. Sweet. Okay, that's encouraging to me. So then, along comes a guy who thinks that they need to... So I guess in Egypt, uh, time progresses and the Israelites aren't being cared for anymore. In fact, they become slaves. And then one of the most important characters of the Old Testament, his name starts with an M, Moses. Uh, He comes along. Here's the painting. On the Sistine Chapel ceiling, I don't know if you could see that, but it's kind of, I think there's plagues going on and Moses doing something with a wand or a staff. I'm not sure. Anyways, I didn't paint it. But Moses um, rebukes Pharaoh and leads the people back, leads the Israelites back to the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of Israel. With me so far? 
Still with me? Okay, so, so that wasn't a very big jump, but it's pretty big in, in the course of like, uh, we finished Genesis, we finished Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and now we're kind of into the book of Joshua. Um, Moses leads the people, he dies, but then Joshua brings them to the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that they were promised to by God. And so there they live. There's judges. And if you look at your chart, so we, we've, we've gone like this far on the chart thus far. That's like two inches or something. And then you can see there's a period of judges and you could list all the judges are listed there. And the judge was, uh, I guess the best way to call him is like a prophet king or a, a religious political leader over Israel. And along comes, and we move in history from like 1381 BC all the way to 1071 BC. And by the way, when you're in the BC era, as you move in time, the numbers go down. You knew that, right? I know that. But as I was like looking at this chart, I kept getting confused. And so don't get confused with that. The timeline goes from big numbers to little numbers, and then it goes to big numbers. You, I know you know that, but like, it's easy to get confused. So anyways, so those are the list of judges. Towards the end of the judges, the people want someone to lead them. What do they want? They want a king. They don't want a judge anymore. They want a king because every other nation has a king. And God is like, I'll, I'm your king. You don't need a king. And the people are like, we really want a king. And so God grants them a king. The very first king of Israel is Saul, good. Um, and so there he is. This is uh, rele- so we're leaving Michelangelo's paintings because he kind of leaves the he kind of cuts off with Saul and the Sistine's Chapel. But anyways, this is a picture of Rembrandt, another pretty cool art- artist. And so here's Saul, and then there's a guy playing the harp for Saul. Anybody know who the little dude is playing the harp? David. Um, so for some of you, this is just like easy. You know the scriptures, you know the Old Testament. But I imagine there's some people out there that are just like, how do these people know this? Are they insane? No, they, they're just, they've gone to Sunday school for a long time. As a kid, they've read the Bible. These are the stories that are in the Bible. So um, there's Saul. He's the king. David, he's playing the harp. But then the turntables turn, and David becomes king. And uh, Saul is no longer king because Saul kind of rebels against God, which is kind of interesting because all the kings of Israel and, and Judah are up here on this chart. And if you look at the bottom, some of them have green on them. Some of them have red on them. And so very simply, the, the green indicates a good king. The red indicates a bad king. And so if you look at Saul's name, it's kind of like half green, half red. Can you see that? That's to, to very, to obviously to simplify it and say that Saul started off as a good king, but kind of rebelled against God, became a bad king, got dethroned. David is now the new king. How many are with me thus far? Okay, we've, we've just covered like thousands of years of, of Bible history. Um, and so I'm glad so many of you are still with me. David becomes king. David has a son named Solomon. Solomon is the last king. Well, I guess his son will be the last king of of all of Israel. Of course, here's a picture of Solomon in all his wealth. Solomon builds something very important in Jerusalem. What does he build? the temple. Um, So for the very first time, they have an actual stone, beautiful, awesome building where they could bring their sacrifices to the Lord. Where's the temple? What city? Jerusalem. So that's that's good to keep in mind because that's where Solomon is. That's where the temple is. That's where the kingdom that God has placed on this earth is in Jerusalem. And so Solomon has a son named, anybody? Rehoboam. Yeah. And so it's at this point in our timeline, that things begin, at least in my mind, begin to get more confusing, 
um, more diverse, more names, and it all kind of happens at this point. Like I will, I'm, what I'm thinking is that a lot of you up until this point of Solomon could, if you were given a chart and maybe some of the pictures, you could probably stand with a microphone and say, okay, here's, here's the events of the Bible. You know, God created the heavens and the earth. He created human beings. Then they fell. Then there was a flood. Then there's Abraham. Then Joseph. Then, uh, you know, you could, you could probably go on down the line until this very point in history where I think things just get more diverse and complicated and confusing. So put on your thinking caps, pay attention, because this is where not only does it get Confusing, but this is where the minor prophets fall into place, which is, by the way, our topic for this month and next month. So two months, Sunday school topics are going to kind of hinge on the history that I'm about to say. And if you have this big picture, which that's really all I'm doing is giving a very, very big picture, kind of oversimplified picture. But if you see that and can, can kind of go through the main points of this history, then the minor prophets will fall into place and it will make so much more sense to you. So So where were we? Solomon. Solomon has a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the last king of all of Israel before people rebel against him. The the northern people, the people of north Israel, rebel against Rehoboam because mainly because it's talked about in First Kings that they don't want to be taxed anymore. It's like no taxation without representation. We can get that as Americans, right? It's like people keep raising the taxes. Well, let's break off and let's do something else. And so they break off from the lower kingdom. And so look at this map. Take it in for just a second because the kingdom of Israel splits. In the south is Jerusalem. Can you see Jerusalem there? I don't know if you can. The map isn't that great. But if you can, you can see that it is in Judah. It is in the southern kingdom. And so there's Jerusalem. That's where Rehoboam is. That's where the temple is. That's where the kingdom God has established um, is set up. The capital is Jerusalem down there. And it's really, from the context of Scripture, we get this idea that it's the northern tribes that are, I'm way oversimplifying this, but it's the, the northern tribes that are kind of the bad guys. They are the ones that break themselves away from God's established kingdom, and they break themselves off under a guy, under their king named Jeroboam, which is very confusing because don't Rehoboam and Jeroboam sound very similar? I mean, it's just the ruh and the juh that's any different. So anyways, so who's Solomon's son? Rehoboam. And the king of the north? And those are important names because they will be referred to again and again in the minor prophets. And and this phrase in 1 and 2 Kings and some of the minor prophets is the sins of Jeroboam. And you're just supposed to know that, oh yeah, the sins of Jeroboam are breaking off themselves from the the established kingdom of God and doing their own thing in the north. And so the kingdom of the north, and you can see this on your chart. Can you see how it breaks off into the fork and on the top is Israel and on the bottom is Judah? So the northern kingdom is often called just that, the northern kingdom. It's called Israel. It's called, in some cases, it's called Samaria.